And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink, just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up Mm. and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it if you sleep like a normal person. Wow, I just got depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. With more than 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Jason. Yeah. You love your Casper. Man, I do love it. There's nothing I love more than sinking deep into my Casper. Just the right bounce. Wonderful. Just the right bounce. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash binge and using offer code binge. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to binge mode. Hey, Grandmaster Picel. Can you tell us the warning about binge mode's adult content? Well, the thing about, the thing about binge mode is uh, binge mode contains <laughs> adult situations and intense violence and sex. <sighs> Never mind. Here's binge mode. I have 100,000 men at my command. All the might of the stormlands and the reach. And all of them young and bold, like your knight of flowers. It's a game to you, isn't it? I pity them. Why? Because it won't last. Because they are the knights of summer, and winter is coming. Hello! Yeah. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished threatening to cut off his enemy's manhood and feed it to the goats. To the goats. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Jason? Hello. Hello. The wildlings serve crueler gods than you or I, but still, we must serve this podcast. We must. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, deep diving one episode at a time. Spoiler warning as usual, guys. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books this season and beyond. It is time to make our offering. It's time to break down season two, episode three. What is dead may never die. Okay, Jason, we have come to a dangerous place. So let's quickly seek safety by taking a trip down our very own King's Road, offering up a quick refresher on what actually transpired in this third installment. You want to kick it off? Sure. Up at Craster's Keep in the Haunted Forest, Craster is angry that John witnessed him give an infant child to the White Walkers. He orders the Night's Watch out of his home. Lord Commander Mormont talks to John about what happened, and John realized that Mormont knows about the sacrifices. There are some things you want to keep private, you know? In Winterfell, meanwhile, Bran's strange dreams are continuing, seeing through the eyes of his wolf, Summer, the little lord, not getting the answers that he wants out of Maester Lewin. In the Iron Islands, Balon Greyjoy's fleet, under the command of Yara Greyjoy, will sail 
to the attack of Westeros, but they're going to the north instead of Lannisport. Theon considers warning Rob, am I your brother now and always? But in the end, he doesn't. Guess not, dude. Because he's a POS. Garbage, garbage. Over in the Stormlands, Cat arrives at Renly's camp. Party time all the time, baby. Woo! Party time all the time. She witnesses. Knights of Summer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. They just got Coronas everywhere. Nights of summer. (laughs) Nights of summer. (laughs) She witnesses Brienne of Tarth become a member of Renly's King's Guard after besting Loras in a duel. And... Queen Marjorie Whoa. enters our lives. A lot of, lot of big character introductions for us here with Brianna and Marjorie. Marjorie tells Renly what's really important here. That's right. And that's putting a baby in her belly. It's like the chain smokers 24-7 at Renly's camp. <laughs> <laughs> Over at King's Landing, Tyrion roots out Cersei's small council spy network with an elegantly structured scheme. He tells each member a slightly different version of his plan to marry off Marcella, Cersei's daughter. And when Cersei comes to him in a full-blown rage, saying, how dare you send Marcella to blank, Tyrion is able to discern which story Cersei heard and from whom she heard it. The spy, we learn, is Meister Pycelle. Tyrion has him tossed in the dungeons, but not before he has his beard cut off. Littlefinger also visits Tyrion, annoyed at being deceived. Tyrion sends him to treat with Cat and Renly as a kind of way to not only get him out of his hair, but also he knows, hey, this guy's soft on Cat. Varys issues Tyrion a riddle that could alter the way he thinks about power. We will talk That's about great this stuff. more later. Love that. And then on the King's Road, King's Road within King's Road here. That's right. The Gold Cloaks return as promised. They are with a real asshole, Sir Emery <laughs> yeah. Lorch. They attack Yorin and the Night's Watch recruits, and during the chaos, we lose Yorin, R.I.P. Buddy, and Arya saves Jockin Hagar's life, crucial moment. She is eventually, however, taken prisoner along with Gendry and Hot Pie. Peace out, Lamy. You didn't last long. Hey, boy, what's wrong with your legs? (laughs) Uh, Bull's helmet. Always a a giveaway. Always a giveaway. They are taken prisoner and marched off to Harrenhal. Jason, I've always hated crossbows. Yes. Take too long to reload, but I... Take too long to reload! Love swords. You know why? Tell me. They allow us to cut right to the core of this episode's big idea. Stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is lessons. Because experience is often the most effective teacher in this world, but there are also plenty of mentor-mentee relationships between parties with genuine affection for each other, genuine desire to, to help people grow and evolve. There's also plenty of teachable moments between people who can't fucking stand each other. Yeah. And there is no shortage of imparting and receiving wisdom in what is dead may never die. We're going to start talking about these lessons by examining the, the syllabus for the Iron Islanders who, who give That's this right. episode its name. So Balon and Yara uh, quite quickly ascertain that Theon doesn't understand what it means to be an Iron Islander, and they set about teaching him. Theon, after groping Yara all the way up to Pike on the horse, says, why didn't you tell me, uh, parentheses, who you were before I 
touched your vagine. And Yara <laughs> says, I wanted to see who you were first, and I did. That is brutal stuff. I mean, that is literally Theon showing his ass. And Theon's whole gamut here is that he's a Greyjoy, the lone surviving son, as he is so fond of saying, yep. which is not really a great boast, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> and he thinks that that's enough, and those words from Yara should carry a powerful lesson. You are what your actions are. You are what your behavior shows the world. You are the person that you are. You're not just a name. You have to go out, and if you want to captain ships, you have to earn the respect of these guys that are going to go out and die for you. And as viewers... It's possible we don't like the lesson. Balin is also teaching Theon something about strategy. Why do you want to strike as Theon and Rob do? Why would you have them strike where the enemy is the strongest? All of the Greenlanders are his enemies. We're going to strike the stony shore in the north while the wolf's in the south. This is smart. You know, the Iron Islanders are not a well-populated land. We're raiders. We're not here to hold territory. We're here to just strike. Um, he also reminds Theon that being a proven warrior isn't everything. His brothers were proven warriors. Your brothers were proven warriors, both of them dead at the hands of those you seem so eager to protect. Damn. You know, imagine that. Your two sons died at the hands of the Starks. You're forced to give up your youngest son to them as a hostage. He comes back looking like them, talking like them, saying, hey, they have a great deal for you, actually. Um, it's no wonder that Balon is aggrieved at this. And he also teaches Theon the lessons that he would have absorbed had he grown up in Pike. What are our words? We do not sow. What does this mean? We don't grow stuff, guys. We take. Mm -hmm. We don't grow. This is a boast. We don't need to grow. They grow stuff for us, those slaves in the Greenlands. We're ironborn. We are not subjects. We are not slaves. We do not plow the fields or toil in the mine. We take what is ours. Your time with the wolves has made you weak. He's right. Flames. Flame emoji there. Yeah. That's not a lesson. L reciting house words right. is what Lewin is doing with Bran, who is a child. It is right. not what Balon should have to do with Theon, who is a man grown, right. but this time apart, it forces this lesson. It forces this teachable moment. We also see another adult-on-adult -adult lesson over in the Stormlands where Cat is Ooh. educating Renly, and then later Marjorie is educating Renly. Renly's getting a lot of lessons <laughs> from, from everybody. You know, when when Kat shows up and Loras, who has just gotten bested and shamed by Brienne, is is talking shit right away, right? <laughs> He's saying if if Rob wants a pact, you know, he could he should come down here himself, not hide behind his mother's skirts. Right. Come on, um, buddy. I will say that Loras's hair looks great this season. Great trim. The, the locks are looking lovely. Absolutely lovely. Yeah, some nice conditioner. The the sea air agrees with him. And Prof Cat, you know, she puts school into session immediately after hearing that. She says, my son is fighting a war, not playing Ooh. at one. <laughs> nights of summer, nights of summer. <laughs> and she's saying, you know, be mindful of where your time is going. Be mindful of what your actions convey yep. about your intentions and your your seriousness, really. Like, these are not serious people, but they've thrown themselves into the middle of a very serious game, right? And she's doing this in public. She's doing it in earshot of all those bros with their Coronas and their flip-flops yeah. and their neon swim trunks. Woo! And then Kat also has a quieter, 
let's go for right. a little, you know, come to office hours, private lesson here for Renly Leader. You know, she he says, was boasting. Another boast, yeah. right? All these boasts lead to these lessons. 100,000 men in my command, all the might of the Stormlands and the Reach. What and Kat says, it's a game to you, isn't right. it? Right? I pity them. And Renly says, why? And Kat says... Because it won't last. Because they are the nights of summer and winter is coming. Damn. They always, the Starks always got to throw that one in. It works though, man. It does. It is. She's just right. an effective hammer. Right. It really is an effective hammer. She's coaching them up. You know, she's yeah. trying to get them ready, but she's also, this is very savvy, whether it's intentional or not on her part, because on the one hand, she's prepping them, she's giving them actually really good advice. She's also getting in their heads and yeah. fucking with their psyches, right? Because. Why is she there? She's there to attempt to strike an alliance. They are not they are not enemies the way that some of the other kings in this war right. are enemies yet, but they're not aligned yet either. And until that happens, getting in their head is ultimately effective strategy. And she's basically saying, you guys aren't actually up for what awaits. Right. Meanwhile, in the honeymoon suite... <laughs> Fantasy suite time. Here we go. Best episode of The Bachelor. Loris and Marge uh, are making sure that Renly understands his kingly duties Mm -hmm. and what's at stake. Loris says, you can't win my father's support or his army on charm alone. Your vassals are starting to snigger behind your back. Brides aren't usually virgins two weeks after their wedding night, especially when they look like Marjorie. A.K.A. Time to get down. Marge... Also pushing for the baby making and in this really interesting real politic way. First, she tells him, you know, your enemies aren't happy about us. They want to tear us apart. And the best way to stop them is to put your baby in my belly. Um, but she's also showing that, listen, she understands what's what's going on here. Okay, you're into my brother, Loris. That's fine. What do we need to do to still get the baby in the belly? Do you want Loris to come in and I come, you know, do you want Loris to get you to the 99 yard line? And then I come in and we, you know, quarterback sneak over the top. That's all you need. Nights of summer. She's letting him know that whatever needs to happen to make this happen, that's fine. Right. Whatever you need to do, she says, you are a king. The best advice and the most dangerous advice. Because Kings already have this sense of imperviousness and invincibility. And weirdly, this area is one of Renly's few insecurities, right? And so kind of giving him the courage to get over it, if if things had continued for him longer than they eventually did, could have been dangerous. That's the kind of thinking that led Robert to make a lot of the mistakes that he made. That's right. And by the way, why is this important? Why does he need to get a baby in her belly? Because that shows his followers, that there's continuity. Renly could easily die if he ever gets off his ass and Mm -hmm. gets into the battle. Then what? Who's next? If he has an heir, there's a focus. There's continuity. The the kingdoms of the Reach can say can point to the the baby in Marjorie's belly and say there's the king we're, right and we're this is what we're fighting for why is this happening in the first place because right. they can't point to that person with confidence for exactly. Robert it's imperative that they get that heir as soon as possible in Winterfell fewer parties little yeah. little calmer a lot of chopping of potatoes and turnips. <laughs> In the, in the cold. Man, I can't hear turnips now without thinking of Roz. <laughs> Gotta big be one. honest. Oh, big ones. <laughs> so 
you know, Bran's having his wolf dreams, and he's asking Lewin basically if he's special, right? right. It's it's very sweet. It's very fantasy lit 101, right. and in a good way. And, you know, he says, old Nan used to tell me stories about magical people who could live inside stags, birds, wolves. And Lewin disabuses him of that notion. He says, that's exactly what they are, Bran, stories. Well, no. No, this is real. Like, this is happening. This magic is back in the world. It's about to be the entirety of Bran's life. Yeah. We are very, we, we, had the, we had binge mode. We had the ringer. Hello. Very big fans of Lewin. Just want to say, very big fans He's of Lewin. He's a good man. However, this moment is a reminder that some lessons can be bad lessons because Lewin is wrong. He's not really the wizened wizard who's helping Bran achieve his destiny. In this moment, he's an obstruction. He's a stubborn old dude who is too reluctant to open his eyes to the possibility of change. And that's kind of painful because you want to believe that somebody like Lewin yeah. has all the answers. When you lose that faith, you don't know where to look. We're going to talk more later about what Lewin says here to Bran about the Maester's Chain and what the Valerian Steel Link represents. But the key thing here is that what he reveals in that moment is that he actually did once believe that yeah. magic was possible, right? And that's not hopeful in this moment. It's actually kind of tragic because he's lost hope, basically, yeah. right? He's saying this thing was real. It did exist, but it's not here any longer. And so you shouldn't believe. You shouldn't have hope. You shouldn't have faith. That sucks to hear. It's also really fitting that this is a lesson that Bram received, given his future as a seer who is basically divorced from time and space. Because for, for Bran, truth will not exist in the moment for him. But during this exchange with Lewin, Bran learns a valuable lesson, something that he's going to have to remember, which is that truth does just exist in the moment right. for mortal men, even the most enlightened of them. Tyrion is teaching as well. Shay is kind of upset that she's being treated like a ball and chain here. She doesn't really see the dangers swirling around them, doesn't see how vulnerable she makes Tyrion right. as, a, as a pressure point for him, for his enemies. Um, and she's insulted to be called a weakness, even, you know, even though he means it as a compliment. And he says language can be a bit tricky here. And this is seasons two version of <laughs> of him telling Mord possession can be an abstract concept. Uh, he and Stannis, I think, would would bond over semantics. <laughs> Pisa, Littlefinger and Varys. These are kind of your biggest power players in the realm. And they are out here learning that Tyrion is not one to fuck with. He right. can absolutely go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys. Just his, the elegance of his plan that roots out Cersei's spy is really something that they should have caught on to when Littlefinger gets pissed and says, leave me out of your next deception. He's really, you know, he's almost more pissed at himself. He, This is something he sure. should have sniffed Right, he out. feels like he got bested and he does, yeah. he's not used to feeling that way. And Tyrion immediately turns the tables to show that being involved in his deceptions, that's exactly the position that he wants to be in. Cutting Pycelle's beard. Oh, Varys, <laughs> that spider! <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> causing him to soil himself, sending him to the black cells. That is a power play, you know, par excellence. He, this guy has served, I've served various kings for a long time, <laughs> and he just sent him to the black cells, uh, you know, as if to say, listen, I understand. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a power player in this thing, 
I can touch you. And then Cersei, you know, you think that she says to him, you think that piece of paper father gave you keeps you safe? Ned Stark had a piece of paper too. It's done, Cersei. You cannot stop it, he tells her. And adds, just how safe do you think Marcella is if the city falls? And, you know, she screams at him and they get into a fight. But this is it. They, he's telling her, listen, you know, look around you. We're losing. The Reach and the Stormlands are against us. Rob Stark is directly to our west approaching. He could come at any time. Three armies around us. What do you think is going to happen to Marcella? We have to send her out of here. So Tyrion is a teacher, right? You just laid that out very clearly. Right. Teaching many people many things. But he's also still a pupil. And that's really one of the coolest things about his character. Because it's that willingness to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep evolving that makes him so adept at yeah. playing the Game of Thrones. And this episode contains... An iconic scene, iconic. an iconic exchange between Tyrion and Varys, where Tyrion shifts into that role of pupil, and Varys is the master. He's the professor giving right. a master class in awareness, in perception, and in the nature of power. Here, here, here's what they say. When Ned Stark lost his head, who was truly responsible? Joffrey? the executioner, or something else. Power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on the wall. And a very small man can cast a very large shadow. If you were boiling down six seasons worth of lessons to the most important ones, power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on the wall easily makes the top five, is a contender for the top three, and might be number one. This is the game, in a nutshell. Forget your rules of succession. Forget what you think you deserve, or, you know, because of your birth you deserve. Men will follow power where they believe it is. Sometimes lessons and teachable moments center on the very nature of ruling in life itself. And sometimes they center on alcoholic beverages. And we're saving the best for last here. Yorin and Arya. It's a good one. The final scene of this episode, the final segment of the pointy end. (laughs) A lot of lessons here imparted from Yorin to Arya, perhaps the most essential in terms of really what's valuable in life when she says she doesn't want any wine because she doesn't like the taste. You don't drink it for the flavor, to be honest. Just valuable stuff. Valuable insights there. This moment when Yorin basically gives Arya his origin story, right? right? He's talking about the kill that led him to ride to the wall and take the black. And he says, I would think about him when I was working, when I was drinking, when I was having a shit. Yeah. (laughs) It got to the point where I would say his name every night before I went to bed. Willem, Willem, Willem. A prayer almost. This is it. This is the speech that leads Arya to start making her lists. This informs the way that she thinks about her enemies, the way that she nurses a grudge until she stabs someone through the fucking throat. That is the only thing that allows her to let go. This moment is everything for her character. Also, uh, don't bare your soul to Arya Stark because that means you're going to die within the next scene. Peace out, Yorin. You lived a good life. He's a good dude. Blue Apron. 
is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients Mm. right to your door. I know a lot of people who use Blue Apron and are extremely grateful for that convenience. I personally am a huge fan of delivery. I know you are. In many forms, as you all know. Yeah. Blue Apron is completely flexible, so you can customize your recipes each week. Just like the Miranese knot. (laughs) Choose a delivery option that fits your needs. Just like God. (laughs) Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook. Just like Pod. <laughs> or they'll make it right. Featured upcoming meals that will be available in August include basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanella, sautéed shrimp and green beans with mm. globe, tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta, whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprice salad. Mm. Miso butter, salmon, and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. My goodness, charmed tomatoes. Mm. And meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. My goodness. You're not finding that in Three Fingered Hobbs Kitchen, guys. (laughs) Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com. Slash Game of Thrones. You will love mm. how good it feels and tastes <laughs> <laughs> to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Game of Thrones. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And now, back to binge mode. All right, Jason, we're ready to dream no matter what Lewin tells us. So let's assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel to learn everything we need to know about maesters, and the disappearance of magic. Sure, no sure. pressure for you here. No, this no. is this is just the explanation of the thing that you are. You're our maester. The disappearance of magic. It's interesting. It's a true dragon and the egg question. Was it the death of dragons that caused the disappearance of magic? Or did the disappearance of magic cause the death of the dragons? There's really no way to know. But if you look at the overall timeline of events in A Song of Ice and Fire, going back to the Dawn Age, tens of thousands of years ago, you see two things with regards to magic, sorcery, blood spells, and the like. First, it appears that the power of magic really was ebbing for a long, long, long time before dragons died out. A massive building project like the Wall, which would be impossible without the powerful magical wards that that hold back the undead, you wouldn't have been able to build that at any during any other part of Westeros's history. The children of the forest were once powerful enough to smash the arm of Dorne, but they were never able to recreate that feat or do anything even remotely similar. It could be that the truly magically sensitive people, whether they're the children of the forest or human beings like Bran, are just simply rare. The Valerians likely used magic and technology in some combination to forge Valerian steel. After the doom, production ceased, and the Targaryens, who were among the leading families of the Valerian oligarchy, prominent dragon riders, they couldn't make their own steel. So perhaps magic, at least among humans, was kept to a small circle of people, and after their death, that knowledge just simply couldn't be replenished. Maester Lewin alludes to 
the way the Citadel treats magic. For years, you've been able to, you know, incoming macers have been able to study magic and spells, and the completion of this curriculum is signified by that rare Valerian steel link. As he says, only one in a hundred maesters wear this chain. The final exam involves sitting in a vaulted dark room with three ancient obsidian candles. These, the Citadel has four of these, three black, one green. They came from old Valeria. And the students are instructed to, using any means necessarily, attempt to light the candles. Many cut their hands uh, trying to rub them on the ground or just you know grip them in some way that might light them. The smart students just sit there in, in contemplation and they, they don't even try it because it's known to be impossible. It was once said that with these candles, men were able to communicate with each other over vast, vast differences. Um, but sometime out beyond living memory, they stop working. And what this exercise is meant to teach maesters is that even with all of human knowledge at their disposal or as much of human knowledge as anyone has – some things are still unknowable. Some things are still impossible. And this is what Meister Lewin had, has learned. And the second thing, if you really – if you look at Westeros history and the history of this world at large is magic actually didn't really disappear. Wargs exist. We know. This is kind of skipping ahead, but we know that they exist. The children of the forest are up north doing green seeing and children of the forest things. Uh, Britain <laughs> – Rivers, a.k.a. Blood Raven, the Three-Eyed Raven, is out there under that great weirwood tree. Spoiler. Melisandre and Miri Mazdur <laughs> were able to do blood magic stuff. And whoever cut off Varys's junk and, and <laughs> threw it on the brazier and watched it barbecue um, was also doing some, some magical things. The Faceless Men. The wall hasn't fallen down. Magic is out there, if at a lower level than in the Age of Heroes. So I think the more likely explanation for the disappearance of magic is that, like the length of seasons, magic is part of some larger unexplained cycle, ebbing and flowing for reasons we don't understand. The disappearance of the dragons, the loss of magical knowledge and ability, the disappearance of the White Walkers even is just a symptom of that larger cycle. And now we know that... The end of the longest summer in living memory is here. Winter is coming. Magic is back. The cold winds are rising, and so are the White Walkers. Uh, you know, Mysa Lewin said the dragons are gone, the giants are dead, the children of the forest are forgotten, and it's not so. All right, Jason, what boy doesn't secretly wish for hidden powers to lift him out of his it's dull true. life into a special one? I, I sure do. I, I, me too. Me too. And what podcaster? doesn't wish to share his or her favorite moments from a given episode of a beloved television program, it is time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights, observations, hindsight nuggets from this episode, Lightning Round Style. You go first. What's number one? John to Lord Commander Mormont with Kit Harrington reaching deep into his acting bag of tricks. <laughs> For Agog, I guess, he says, I saw it. I saw something take the child. And Mormont says, whatever it was, I dare say you'll see it again. The White Walkers, baby, cold winds are rising. Uh, number two, Sam, when he approaches Gilly and so he cute. gives her, I have, well, I have a hard time getting through this without crying because I love this so much. It's very, very sweet. Yeah. He gives her this parting gift, right? He gives her his mother's sewing thimble. He says, she'd let me sit with her in the chamber while she sewed and I'd read to her. My father put a stop to it when he found out. It's the only thing I have of her. She gave it to me before I left for the wall. Damn. Gilly says. That's heavy. You shouldn't give it away. It is. It's just so beautiful and sad. <laughs> and he says, 
I'm not giving it away. I'm giving it to you. Keep it safe for me until I come back. Sam's got game. That's some serious Knights of Summer game right there. (laughs) This is is really when Sam becomes Sam the Slayer, right? He's slaying that ass. This is, it's beautiful stuff. I love it. Yeah. I really ship for those two. What about Theon, that pathetic punk Theon saying to his father, you gave me away, your boy, your last boy, you gave me away like I was some dog you didn't want anymore. Eerie foreshadowing here for a guy that's about to spend a lot of time in the kennels. Woof. Four. Tommen. First of his casting. King Cat. (laughs) He asks if Joff is really going to kill Rob. And Cersei says, would you like that? And Tommen, you know, Joffrey would have gotten an erection right there at the dinner table, right? Yes, let me see the blood. (laughs) And Tommen says... No, I don't think so. Very soft, very gentle. He is showing us that he's a sweetheart and also that he's fucked in this family because this should be our warning right here that he's he's really not made of of stern enough stuff to survive being Cersei's son. This is also why Tywin uh, very, very low key preferred him to Joff Mm -hmm. because here's a kid that is malleable. I can control this guy. A little piece of Play-Doh that he can mold. All right, number five. It's kind of no wonder that Shay turns on on Tyrion. She's she's fucking the dude who's going to end up marrying the woman who just gave her this to-do list. Change my linens, (laughs) wash my clothing, (laughs) scrub the floor and empty my chamber pot. Brush my hair. And by the way, brush my hair when she can't figure out any of that other stuff. Just brush my hair. Empty my chamber pot. That's brutal. That's brutal. Tough draw. That's kind of the job. It's a really tough draw. It's tough. Number six, some very key Arya groundwork is laid in this episode, right? When she is fleeing and sees the fire approaching Jockin's yeah. wagon, she hands him an axe. This is a crucial moment. This is when she earns her three kills, right? And his, if not companionship, at least attention and debt. And then also... When Polliver knocks her over and takes Needle, and he says, maybe I'll pick my teeth with it. Maybe I'll pick my teeth with it. That's what she says to him. Seasons down the road in season four when she uh, picks his neck with it. (laughs) It was beautiful. Number seven. Yorin has some real hammer lines in this episode. Which is the greater one? The line about shaving a spider's ass? Or... There's men out there who want to fuck your corpses. Strong run from Yorin. Listen, Yorin knows how to get you fired up. You aren't sure what is going on. Just listen to Yorin. He'll let you know. Love that dude. I really miss him. I wish we had gotten that Yorin Tyrion buddy comedy. I really do. All right. Well, fucking corpses doesn't sound very pretty, but some say that the beauty most desired is the beauty concealed. Certainly heard a king say that this episode. And uh, the episode three champion. Not concealing much of anything. No. Really showing us everything. Right. Each episode, as you guys know by now, we are going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. This week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Marjorie. Marjorie Tyrell. She would have made an incredible queen. Uh, really one of the few people in this world who actually gets it she just really completely gets it. gets it we talked we talked about identity yeah last episode marjorie has a very clear sense of who she is and of who she needs other people 
to think she is. She's still an apt pupil, but she's also happy to teach. She, in this moment, when she's basically operating as Renly's human Viagra, (laughs) trying to give him whatever he needs, it's the real reminder that she is willing to do whatever is necessary to advance, to further her agenda. She was really built for the Game of Thrones and wish we'd wish Lady, we'd seen her play it for longer. Lady Olena, Queen of Thorns, trained her well. It's true. It's true. No Talk about a mentor. She says uh when she's telling Renly about having to, you know, just being being able to be himself because mm-hmm. he's a king here in this room when they're together. She says, save your lives for court. You're going to need them. This is savvy. She understands that there's a public face and there's a private face. And they're both equally important, but they don't necessarily overlap. There's a great little moment in this when Loris and Brienne are fighting and it looks like Loris has taken some hits and she stands up. She's Loris, Highgarden. You know, she understands how to pump up her troops. This would be incredibly exciting for the Knights of the Reach. Here's this young, energetic queen, and she's with it. She is rooting for you. She's rooting for the Reach, rooting for Highgarden. It's as she knew how to play the game. Marjorie. It it must be said also that she really knows how to wear uh, and remove a dress. It came off like... great. (laughs) It came off like a pop top or something. (laughs) It was like... It just came off. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. All right, guys. If you haven't had a proper shit in days, we'd encourage you not only to visit your neighborhood maester, but to continue to listen to this podcast, which aids the mind and the digestive tract alike. We uh, hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you'll join us again next time when we will be discussing season two, episode four, Garden of Bones. Until then, beware. You are the Knights of Summer. And winter is coming. Nights of summer, nights of summer, nights of summer. You going to Renly's camp? He's having a three-day <laughs> festival of the Stormlands. Winter's coming, but not for like a long time, bro.